All right. In the year behind. Well, second year. Great. So she had and and she's a so grown up, and she, but she is actually. Um, I was actually always thinking that we ready to go. Uh, my name is Monty Soka. I'm the chair of the. Okay. Uh, get this meeting started. Call to order. And or I guess somebody at City Hall is probably controlling that, but can't hear you. No. There you are. Unmute. Okay. There we go. That's, That's not good. No. Are you guys unmuted your Zoom fees? Don't. Okay. Are we okay now? Yeah. Are we ready to go? I can hear you good. Okay. Okay, so my name is Monty Sokup. I'm the chair of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board for the City of Lawrence. We're gonna call this meeting to order as it's 11.02. The first thing we're gonna do is take roll and establish a quorum, and then we'll have some opening comments uh, from Leah. So I'm gonna take roll. Uh, Thomas Howe. Here. Thomas Allen. Here. Trent Santee. Here. Dannon Reed. Here. Rebecca Buford. Here. Sarah Waters. Here. Christina Gentry. I saw her log in. Uh, she absent? Okay. She's she's trying. Okay, you're gonna I can't see your thumbs up. So Christina Gentry's here. Erica Zimmerman. Erica's gonna be absent. Absent. Dana Ortiz. Here. Shannon Aury. Shannon will also be absent. Did I hear her here? She'll be absent. She's absent. Okay. Ron Gacious. Here. Edith Guffey. Okay. I believe Edith is absent and Monty Sokup here. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten present, which establishes a quorum for us. All right. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Leah real quick for uh, the basic opening meeting comments. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Good morning, everyone. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. Please remember that this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you're participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. I will now make a few notes on public comment. 
When the chair calls for public comment, individuals attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised or lowered, and we encourage you to use this feature to ensure your comments are heard. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Individuals will be called on in the order that they appear on the host meeting screen. All comments will be li limited to three minutes. I would also like to take this opportunity to acknowledge that today is Indigenous Peoples Day and that our organization, as well as the organizations represented in the named seats on this advisory board, occupies land that has been cared for by Indigenous peoples and that we share a commitment to understanding the history of genocide and the forced removal of people and communities. This is particularly important as we discuss land ownership, which is a colonial concept and the impact of indigenous people's forced removal and migration from and across the land that we occupy, which has resulted in indigenous people's disparities in income, houselessness, health, and access to the human right to housing. I also want to acknowledge that this board lacks any representation from Haskell Indian Nation University and therefore valuable indigenous perspectives on land ownership and cultural values of family, home and housing are not present. The city recognizes today as Indigenous Peoples Day in order for Lorenzians to reflect upon the culturally diverse struggles of Indigenous peoples and to celebrate the resilient, culturally diverse Indigenous traditions and beliefs that guide and shape Haskell uh, Nation's university from which our entire community benefits. Thank you, and I'll now turn the meeting back over to Mr. Suko. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Monty Suko, Chair, we're going to move into uh, public comment, and this would be for general uh, public comment at the beginning of the meeting. If you have uh, are interested in something on the agenda, we will typically address that at the time uh, we address that on the agenda. So do I have anybody that has general public comment? Not seeing anyone here in the room. Have anyone online that you can tell? Okay, so seeing no one online, we're gonna close public comment and move on to item B on the agenda, which is approving the minutes. Uh, you may recall that we had a correction in the minutes uh, from our uh, last meeting. So we have two sets of minutes here to approve. Um, I would be uh, consider a motion to approve both sets of minutes at the same time with a single vote, if that's allowable. Okay, I see Ron. Mr. Gacious, you are muted. I'd like to I'd like to make a motion that we approve. Well, I was only here for the for the September meeting, not the July meeting. I think there are two or three of us that that missed the July meeting. We shouldn't vote on the July uh minutes but we but if we were here we should vote on the september minutes would you would you accept a motion on just one or the other yes i would accept a motion for one or the other uh i participated in the september meeting i would move adoption of the september minutes i would second that motion okay so we have a motion and a second is there any discussion on the september minutes 
Seeing none, I'm going to call the roll. The same order uh, I called the roll to start with. Uh, so, Thomas Howe? Yes. Thomas Allen? Yes. Trent Santee? Trent? He did unmute, so I got to assume that he was. His microphone's not working. Okay. Shannon Reed? Yes. Rebecca Buford? Yes. Sarah Waters? Yes. Christina Gentry? Yes. Erica Zim, oh, Dana Ortiz? Yes. Ron Gacious? Yes. Monty Soka? Yes. Motion passes 9-0. Uh, so I would uh, open the floor for a uh, motion to approve the um, July 11th meeting minutes. This is Sarah Waters with KU. I move that we accept the minutes from the July meeting. Thank you, Sarah. Rebecca Buford, tenants to homeowners second. So we have a motion and a second on the floor. Is there any discussion for the regarding the July 11th minutes? Seeing none, I'm going to take the roll. Uh, Thomas Howe? Not present. Abstain. Thomas Allen? Approved. Trent Santee? Yes. Shannon Reed? Not present. I'll abstain. Rebecca Buford? Yes. Sarah Waters? Yes. Christina Gentry. Thumbs up. She got thumbs up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Christina Gentry is a yes. Five. Dana Ortiz? Yes. Ron Gacious? Not present. Pass. Monty Sokup? Yes. I believe the motion passes. Seven, four. Three abstentions. Okay. So we have a very busy agenda today with all the presentations for the uh, uh, applications. Uh, so we're moving on to agenda item C, receive affordable housing trust fund applications presentations. Um, Leah, did you want to make a statement about this, um, about the timing and whatnot for the Sure. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, do, so we have a very full agenda with applicant presentations. Each applicant will be limited to 10 minutes in total. Um, each applicant has been asked to prepare a five-minute presentation and reserve five minutes for Q&A. If the applicant goes over five minutes for their presentation, then the Q&A period will be limited for a total time of 10 minutes. Um, at the conclusion of 10 minutes, um, we will um, ask the presenters to conclude their presentation and need to move on to the next presenter. Um, if there's any public comment for this item, that will be heard and accepted at the end of all, uh, when all the presenters have had a chance to present. Any okay. Detail? No, I think that's it. I think 
the main thing is that the public comment will be after the presentation. We have to get through these presentations today to keep our process. So it's not that we're trying to limit public comment. Uh, we just uh, have to get through all this. So, all right, we'll start with the Willow application. Is there a button? Yeah, just hold, hold the button in. It says up. Hold it in. There you go. Got it. Thank you. I'm short, but I don't like to bend over. Hi, I'm Megan Stuckey. I'm the executive director at the Willow Domestic Violence Center, and I am grateful that you guys have given us this opportunity to discuss our application for the AHAB funds. Um, the Willow serves hundreds of clients every year in our shelters and in our transitional housing, and thousands every year through our hotline, community advocacy, court advocacy, support groups, um, various other services that we offer. So we have a pretty large swath of the community um, in our services. The main theme in almost all of the survivors' cases that we serve is housing. I mean, obviously, our primary goal is to get them safety and security in crisis and, and to figure out plans for moving forward as safely as possible. But the key component to most of those plans is housing. Um, obviously, you guys know all the barriers to housing, so I'm not going to preach to the choir about all those, those things. I think you know what they are. But in our our clients' particular cases, there's this extra barrier of security and this emotional toil that's happening beyond what might also be poverty and other trauma and possible felonies or other barriers that people encounter. Um, survivors go back to their abusers statistically nine times before they are able to leave permanently into independent safety. A lot of that has to do with the availability of a safe and secure place to live. Um, our, our, our shelter is a 90-day shelter, and you can extend another 30 days in certain cases. So that's, you know, longer than what you used to get in shelter. It's still not really enough time to center yourself, become safe, do the emotional work that is necessary, and find a job, find transportation, find childcare, find an apartment that will take you and have enough money saved up to do first month's rent and utilities and all the things and deposits. So the Willow really wants to help make that a reality and help it be sustainable. We know there's other pots of money in the community for our clients can sometimes apply for um, housing coalition funds or um, we've had CARA, which is ending. You know, there's other options sometimes, but there's also barriers to some of those funds. And we like to have kind of our own internal pot so that when someone has run up against systematic barriers in other places, we can kind of fill in those gaps. So we're not asking for a ton of money for this, but we are asking to have enough that we can help a handful of clients who have run into whatever resources have been expended that they can't access the other things that are out there. Um, Sometimes it means also that we need funds to help people like get their car fixed so they can get to work so they can keep their housing. So, you know, that kind of domino effect, we, we see that and we really want to be able to have funds. We do get state and federal dollars and a little bit of it goes to what we call program services, but those are very constrictive. There, there's very specific things that are allowable with those funds and it's really, really helpful to us to kind of be freed from that so that we can help the handful of clients that comes to us with really specific and unique needs that we can't find another grant to accept. So um, we humbly ask for some support with that, you know, as well as we do that 
this is a very particular moment in time for people's tenuous housing. And we really, really, really want to keep our particularly vulnerable people off the streets as much as humanly possible. So um, this would make that possible for a lot of folks who can't find the resources in other places. Do you have questions for me about our services or how our how, we have a housing case manager? We have a transitional housing case manager. We really want to support people as they go. We don't just say, here's your apartment, here's some rent. See ya. Um, as much as the client wants us to be involved and continue to help them and stay supported through their job search and their job stability, um, we will provide that as long as they need it and are still kind of in our services. So um, just so you know, that's also a component of what we do. Do you have questions for me? Okay, I'll open it up for the to the board for questions. We have about six minutes. See, none, I have a question. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, about how many people do you think this would help serve? I mean, based on your, I know you're, everyone's I mean... going to be different. And then are, would 100% of the funds get in the hands of your clients or is there an administrative portion to this? John, did we ask for an administrative cut on this? Do you remember? I don't think so. I think we just said 10000 for rent and utility assistance, which might be other housing related costs, but generally that's what it is. Um, you know, it can, we have a kind of per client limit per year of $800 just that comes out of our, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean every client gets $800. Right. It doesn't mean, you know, but that's kind of just so we can keep ourselves within some sort of boundaries. So, you know, you're looking at a dozen people if that's the, if they get the max. Some people might only need a few hundred. They're patching together several bits of resources. So usually it stretches more than that, but between 10 and 20 probably. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions? I have a question. Um, I believe your ask is for twenty thousand. If I'm looking at, oh, did we ask for twenty? Oh, <laughs> in my mind, maybe I filled out another grant last week that was ten. Yeah. Um, um, so you know, so, double that. <laughs> okay. So, could you though? One of the things. This is Sarah Waters with KU. Um, could you also though, maybe clarify because you also talked about potentially you know, to get people's cars fixed or things such as that. So how from administrating this, um, that because this is the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. So could you talk about the way that you would administrate this, these funds so that it was going towards housing needs? Um, just a little more clarification on that would be appreciated. I mean, we can definitely restrict it to specifically rent and utility deposit housing needs. Um, we like to have the flexibility if someone is like having a transportation problem and potentially is going to lose their job and therefore will domino effect lose their housing. We like to try to be preventative to help people keep their housing and keep their job stability. So that's, I see them as related, but you know, again, if that's outside of your scope, we can limit that or, or eliminate that. Right. Uh, Monty Sogup, Chair, any other questions? All right. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. You're keeping us on schedule as well, which I right? like. Right? I'm fat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The next is uh, Douglas County Housing Stabilization Collaborative. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Leah, do you have the slideshow there internally to, to put up and slide through? I do. I will bring that up right now. Thank you, Kyle. Awesome. Okay. My name is Kyle Rogenkamp. I'm with the Ballard Center. Uh, Gabby Sprague with the 
HSC was kind enough to let me come on this morning and, and speak to all of you about the collaborative and our request today. I'm with the Ballard Center. I know on the slideshow it says the Elizabeth Taylor Ballard Center. I'll have to yell at Gabby for that. We are the Elizabeth B. Ballard Center. We're not that fancy to be called the Elizabeth Taylor Ballard <laughs> Center. So please, please ignore that. That kind of cracked me up this morning when I saw it. So let's just start with a brief history of the HSC. Um, a lot of people in this room remember what it used to be like before HSC came along. Agencies were kind of siloed in their approach to rent and utility assistance. For example, at Ballard, we would have about $5,000 a month in rent and utility assistance. We would share that with other agencies. On the first of the month, we would open up our phone lines and people would, you know, scratch and claw to get those dollars. It was very difficult uh, for individuals to access the funding. There was never enough funding. Um, we did not, you know, have a standardized application process. Um, and Leah, you can keep going through here. We did not, this is very important, we did not collect data together on a level that allowed us to assess the need in the community with rent and utility assistance. Um, and the amount of assistance available was varied. Back then it was usually only, only $200 per household per year, which as you can imagine, in the current housing climate is just, it's not enough. Um, folks would end up, you know, having to call multiple agencies each month just to try to get access to that, that housing. Um, you know, the, the HSC now is a collaboration of multiple, multiple agencies. I believe on the last call, there were over 30 agencies represented. Um, tenants to homeowners, Family Promise, United Way, Ballard, Willow, ECAN, Catholic Charities, anyone that has, you know, their thumb on the dial of crisis funding in the community is a part of this collaborative. Um, and what it does is it allows us to collect that data, to better identify that need, to standardize an application process, to make the accessibility and equitability of the funding in the community um, more accessible and more equitable. There are multiple access points. The application is live on a website that you know someone doesn't even have to be interacting with an agency to get into hsc on the front end and then on the back end they are paired with an agency um, to work with them so we also have member meetings the first friday of every month where we collaborate where we really talk through how to make the greatest impact with the dollars that we receive and spend in our community um, this is focused solely on rent and utility assistance. The entire request would be considered pass-through dollars. That means that every dollar would go to households in the community. It would support roughly 427 households. That's a little over $1,000 per household that we average investing in to alleviate their crisis. More importantly, you know, one of the big things that HSC does now is we follow up with these households that investments are made in. The partner agencies work with them for a couple month period. And then even ongoing after that, the whole goal is to get them to a point where there is some sort of stability. Um, there, is, there is the ability to handle their budget on their own without future investment. Um, another Kyle. big part of H, yes? I apologize. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. We're having some technical difficulties. 
Oh, okay. Uh, there we go. I, I apologize. I didn't want to interrupt you, but the slides weren't progressing on Zoom, and I just wanted to make sure that everybody was seeing the slides. Yeah, yeah. I okay, that. it looks like we're good now. Are, am I on the right slide for where you're at in your presentation? Online, it's still on the first page. Um, mm -hmm. What about now? Are you seeing... Still seeing the first page. Because you're sharing the wrong screen. It's on like the, uh, yeah, the left page. So, I apologize for interrupting your presentation, Kyle. I want to make sure that everybody's receiving the presentation. Um, just give us one moment, please. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Try to share another monitor when you can. What about now? Still seeing the initial slide. Okay, I'm gonna stop share and, and start over. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not sure what's happening. Um, okay. That's the word. It's uh, start slideshow. <coughs> you want me to? Um. Do you not want? We'll see if Kyle can share from his office. Um, Kyle, do you have the presentation? I'm sorry, I'm not sure what's happening. Yeah, Where I do. You... I I think maybe for the sake of time, do do all the the AHAB committee members do they all have access to the slideshow? Maybe we yeah, can just yes. talk, get through it. Um, okay. that way everyone's not not waiting here on the back end and. Sorry okay. for the troubles, Leah. No, I'm sorry about that. I'm not sure why that's happening. No, no, no. So just, you know, real quick, before HSC came around, all of us agencies were, were trying to address rent utility assistance on our own. We weren't collecting data together. We weren't collecting applications together. We weren't doing care coordination together on the back end. That is now happening. Uh, being on the ground level, working with the clients through HSC, I firmly believe as a social service provider that HSC has revolutionized the rent utility assistance process in our community. So thank you to the founding members like Family Promise and Tenants to Homeowners. Um, organizations that work with HSC, they can either do it on the front end by making sure that all of their clients have access to the application. They can also make an investment on the back end where they're actually doing the care coordination and case management that goes along with the investment after the investment is made. For example, at the Ballard Center, we follow up with folks every two weeks for a minimum two-month period. Um, we try to triage the crisis. We try to address the barriers, and we try to open doors for them to go through to reach a greater level of stability. Housing authority applications, DCF applications, working with the Workforce Center for Employment, the whole gambit. 
Um, <laughs> so as a collaborative, um, you know, the agencies that, that do that back in care coordination or case management um, do get $150 stipend per household they work with. Keep in mind though, none of this funding request is for stipends, 100% pass through dollars directly going to the households that we are serving. Um, in the future, you know, we really want HST to keep growing in its scope to address the housing issues in our community. I mean, everyone sitting around this table is here for a reason and that reason is affordable housing. HSC is 100% in understanding and agreement that we need more affordable housing. Our request is speaking to what are we gonna do in the meantime until we get there? That's where HSC steps in and makes that impact. We are getting people through until housing in our community is more accessible, more affordable, more equitable. So the last thing I wanna do before we open it up for questions is I just wanna share a quick story about a family we've been working with for a long time. This family, single mother facing abusive situations had been homeless for over a year. They were working with Burt Nash Homeless Outreach. They were working with Willow and they were working with Ballard. Um, through the HSD Collaborative, we were able to get their deposit and first month's rent taken care of, get them off of the streets after a year. Um, Burt Nash was able to identify that housing. HSC was able to provide the funding for that housing. Ballard's Pantry was able to provide stuff that they needed for the housing. In collaboration with Willow Case Managers, we found out that they needed some security equipment for the new apartment. And because of HSC, Ballard was able to utilize donor dollars that historically would go towards rent utility assistance to help pay for that as security equipment. So not only is HSC maintaining housing, but we're also getting people housed and we're allowing agencies that are a part of the collaborative to really focus on what they do to shine. You know, Homeless Outreach was able to find the housing. HSC was able to pay for it. Ballard and Willow were able to collaborate and use funding to get the security equipment. You know, no one agency would have been able to do all of that on their own. But the HSC brought us together, made us work together, and the end result was a single mother with her two children being able to be in an apartment that's sustainable, affordable, and a shout out to LDCHA for the voucher that they provided. Um, we'll open it up for questions. All right, are there any board members, Monty Sokup Chair, are there any board members that have questions for Kyle? Mr. Chairman? Yeah, go ahead, Ron. Uh, Ron Cacius, uh, the Chamber Representative. Uh, Kyle is, um, is the Willow a participant in the collaborative? Yes, they are. Would it be possible that the funding request that the Willow has made of us could be part of um, what the collaborative spends money on? You know, I, I, I would say yes, but I'm hesitant to say yes, because right now we've had to initiate CAPS in assistance for the first time since HSC launched. And what that's doing is that's limiting um, how long throughout each month that assistance is available. We are having internal conversations to make sure that this funding with the CAPS is still equitable. It's conversations about saving some of it for 
seniors that face the digital divide and can't access the application for um, non-English speaking applicants that might need more time to get the application in. And I, I feel like Willow falls into that category. I feel like their target demographic that they're serving is, is unique and also needs unique funding. I don't want an agency like Willow to be in a position where they could really make life-changing work happen for a family. But in that month, HSC has reached their cap of assistance and wouldn't be able to provide that support. So Ron, I'm, I'm really torn on, on combining the request because I know that the work that Willow does is so targeted. They have such good case managers. Any investment that the community makes into Willow is going to be utilized in a very professional and productive manner. Um, but with our caps, I am worried about an agency like Willow not being able to get that help because the work they do is so timely and it's so time sensitive. They don't have the time to wait till the next month till the funding opens up again. Thank you. This is, Other questions? Yeah, this is Sarah Waters with KU. I have two questions. Um, and the first, honestly, maybe in your application, but if you can clarify for me. So who, who makes the decision about awards? Because you've mentioned a lot of different agencies um, working in partnership, but who ultimately makes the decision of this pot of money that if we gave that from Ahab, of who would benefit from that money? Whoever's eligible, you know, before you know, these- Who gets it, who makes the decision? So is there is there a, a body or stakeholders of directors that make a decision together? Yes. Or who would get, and, and who are those people? So the HSC co collaborative is com comprised of any agency that's that's working with HSC, those 30 plus agencies that we, we meet with monthly to make decisions on behalf of the collaborative. And I mean, that that's kind of how we do it, is a, a collaborative approach. So each agency has a voice at the table. Okay. Including directors potentially on this board right now, making could potentially be make I just I'm trying to understand because you've mentioned some of the agencies that sit on AHAB. So are any of those directors in a decision making space for how this money would be allocated? You know, potentially a lot of the collaborative is comprised of the folks that are actually doing the work. So, you know, for example, with with Family Promise, you know, Dana and them, they're a part of the HSC but they're case managers that are doing the intakes, collecting the data, you know, supporting the families. They're usually the voice at the table. Okay. Um, so then just my other question, just because this is a large amount of money you've asked for, um, we only have a certain amount to be able to allocate to all the agencies. So should we, sh should we not allocate the full 500,000? Um, can you just officially tell us what that would mean for your agency and for the collaborative? Well, I mean, it would be less households served, more households getting evicted, more utilities getting turned off. Um, it would mean more crisis for families in our community. And it would mean, I mean, the folks around this table know it's a lot, a lot easier to help someone before they become houseless than when they become houseless. It's, I mean, it's exponentially more difficult to get them rehoused once they've been through an eviction process um, or have had utilities disconnected or behind 
Um, until we have the, the affordable housing in this community, I can't stress enough how vital these funds are to keep people from suffering. Yeah. Thank you, Kyle. Um, I think we need to wrap up and keep moving unless somebody has something. Ron had a question. Yeah. Uh, and Leah, so, could, could you have our timer on the screen for us? If, I can't really tell where we are in the process yeah. without it. Sure. Thank you. It looks like Kurt just put it up. So I think we're, we're going to have to move on at this point to the next thing. And, and Ron, we'll have to come back to your question uh, in our yeah, discussions. I, I understand yeah. that this is Sarah Waters again. I understand we need to move on, but I, I know Shannon was starting to speak as well as Ron. And I, so I don't know how to extend, but I think there might be some lingering questions. But I don't want to speak for my colleagues. Yeah, um, I understand that. I also understand that if we have, we'd really have to get through all these things in two hours uh, today, or we have lingering entire projects, not just questions. So I'm going to keep us moving on. We'll uh, maybe we can submit. If you have a burning question, you can submit it in writing after, and we can get those out and get them answered and distributed to the board in some way. But I think right now we have to keep moving. So sorry for that. Mr. Mr. Chair, this is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. I do just want to make one point of clarification in terms of the HSC application and um, allocation process is that it's a standardized process based on eligibility criteria and first come, first serve. So there's no um, body that is it, it essentially, if they meet the eligibility criteria, um, they're awarded the funds on a first come, first serve basis. All right. So, uh, Thank you, Leah. So the next on the list is the uh, Watts application. Stephen C. Watts. Hi, I am Stephen Watts, longtime resident of Lawrence. This project is to arrest foundation shifting of the 950 square foot house to provide as much correction as possible of the house located at 1649 Edge Hill Road, which is my home. It is not a house and garden project, and there are no tax givebacks to me over the course of my lifetime. I am seeking to avoid houselessness, which the other speaker was just noting, and he's ever so correct. You know, I first learned of this process by an announcement in a neighborhood-oriented website, nextdoor.com, when the town posted an announcement for the grant process, and it read, Affordable housing starts here. We are currently accepting applications for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Eligible projects for funding include the acquisition, rehabilitation, and or development of affordable housing for Lawrence community members living at or below 80% of the area median income. I have been living and working at below the 80% level my entire working life as a social worker doing the exact work that is going on now. Don't know how effective we were over the last 50 years. Uh, I am classified as elderly given my age and uh, very much seek to age in place. I do not have the income to fund the proposed project, which shall provide a solid foundation for the house to stand yet another hundred years and be available for rent 
or purchase to the target population I am a member of. The project house is less than 950 square feet, well, 975 square feet, something like that, in size in an established tree welcoming neighborhood close to schools and the university. It is the exact size of home attention is now being paid to by the Affordable Housing Board, as well as other progressives in the community, given the amount of money that was paid and used to build the McMansion phase of development for homes with 10 million square feet and five garages and who knows what all. Uh, but the, the quest to be a good member to continue with a bigger, uh, I lost my place here, I'm sorry, but we're understanding that sometimes small is better. This is a small cottage house of 100 years or so of age, and it will last another 100 years with some assistance. Uh, it's been in my family for quite a long time. I bought it on the open market. It was not given to me. It was not, uh, it was, I bought it at auction. The rest of the people thought I was crazy, but he here I am. Um, this project is cost effective and there's a zero administrative cost. It preserves existing housing stock, which is another thrust of this project. I requested excess amounts over the two bids that I put in there, and I'm willing to work with anybody to pick whatever bid uh, people think is best. I have an idea. I have several other bids I could have included. <laughs> the photocopying for that stuff was 20 bucks. No, thank you. Um, so I included two, but I included an extra amount of money in the bid because there is an off chance that when they go to establish these piers, it is a process of driving piers into the ground to find uh, a solid footing, that there's a chance that they have to go deeper until they find something. And so I allotted for that. Anything excess would be rebated back to the town. Uh, I'm open to questions at this point. I don't have really anything else to say. Thanks. Okay, Is there, are there any questions from the board? Mr. Chairman? Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Ron. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Mr. Watts, have you ever made application to any of the agencies that provide assistance in uh, rehabbing and helping to maintain older homes? I'm sorry, I didn't get your name. My name is Ron Gacious. Hey, Ron. As a matter of fact, yes, I have. And I was rather taken aback by what I received. When this was announced, in the first part of the summer, I immediately began, con I sent emails to the Neighborhood Association, the Lawrence Association of Neighborhoods. I sent requests for information to uh, Habitat for Humanity and tenants to homeowners. Nobody responded, nobody. I sent more emails and I eventually got a response from tenants to homeowners. And uh, they were working with, Ms. Buford was working with me briefly and then it just stopped. She said she would contact me when I noticed that uh, there was a city commission meeting and I said, do I need to go to this? And she said, nah, that's some funding thing, we'll get back to you. Nobody did. I contacted uh, Habitat for Humanity, got no response. 
I sent some more emails. I got a sponsor eventually, and it just said, we're not doing this this time. We don't, we can't help you. I didn't get any response from the Lawrence Association of Neighborhoods. I did get a singular response from the Oriad Residents Association, which is not a real neighborhood association. It's not incorporated. It's just a club. They weren't willing to do anything. So I decided I would make application for myself. I understand that this is a new aspect of accessing these funds, but these funds are meant for those people living at or below 80% of the target population, which is a neglected aspect. We focus strictly on impoverished and onesie twosies. Uh, uh, we're, gonna, we're going to, uh, we're going to pay the rent this month and then worry about it. But this preserves this house to stand for another hundred years for people to buy and rent. And so, yes, I did. I did try to work with nobody. Nobody contacted me. Here I am. Thank you. Thanks. Any other questions from the floor? All right. Seeing none. We thank you, Mr. Watts. Thank uh, you. We'll move on to the next applicant. Uh, senior Resource Center application. Okay, is it low enough? All right, hi, my name is Megan Poindexter. I am the Executive Director for the Senior Resource Center for Douglas County. The program that we are presenting is Accessible Safe Housing for Seniors. Um, our goal is to secure funding for home repair and rehabilitation of affordable housing stock and accessibility modification for five to 10 households annually. Specifically, we're looking at seniors who are below 50% of AMI throughout Douglas County, households with disabilities who need accessibility modifications, and both renters and owners of units in poor or fair condition. The amount we've requested is $53,000. Uh, $3,000 of that would be for administrative work and $50,000 to be paid directly for the work completed. This is an uncomplicated ask for a pretty uncomplicated program in reality um, because it's already something we're doing. It is occurring currently, but with severely limited funds. Uh, the Senior Resource Center is lucky to have great partners that we have been doing this with. We've got a pretty solid procedure, but inevitably we are short of funds for materials and or the ability to pay market rate for the experts who can complete the specific repairs that sometimes folks need. And thus it is hard to get those qualified individuals to agree to complete the project. So the people we're talking about, the individuals are seniors. So we're looking at low income, often frail seniors and people with disabilities who have limited earning power. These uh, would be typically seniors on fixed incomes. And as the cost of living rises, Social Security does not rise at the same rate. Anyone with Medicaid or SSDI must keep their income under a certain limit or they risk losing their benefits. So for example, Medicaid's monthly income limit for a single person is $1,500. 
uh, and an asset limit. So any cash on hand of 2,000, 3,000 for a couple. So as you can see, they are prevented from even saving up for a major home repair. So that is if they can come up with the extra money left over at the end of each month. So seniors typically have a, a tendency to be prone towards being house rich and cash poor, meaning these are often individuals who've owned the home for an extended period of time. The home is completely paid off, therefore very effective in, in its efficiencies, um, but they don't have the monthly income needed for repairs and maintenance. These are often also folks that are unable to complete the repairs or often even very basic maintenance themselves because their bodies are unable to complete the tasks requested, or I'm sorry, the tasks needed. So imagine we're talking someone who is on oxygen or who has knees that are weak or who cannot lift their arms above their head, sometimes even to change a light bulb or the battery in a, in a smoke detector. Um, and sometimes even those who are un, unable to stand unassisted for more than a few minutes. So with some assistance, however, um, and sometimes it doesn't take a lot, they are able to continue aging in place, which is much less expensive than independent living or assisted living, neither of which are covered by Medicare. And the longer they can prevent or delay facility type living, it is it does cost less for both the individual and taxpayers, frankly, assuming that this is a person who would potentially need to spend down in order to qualify for Medicaid. So we're talking about low-income senior homeowners who need affordable help and low-income senior renters who need affordable help because, as I understand it, landlords are required to approve ADA modifications, but they are not required to pay for them to happen. The partners that we've already been working with um, include tenants to homeowners with our shared Helping Hammer Handyman program, Habitat for Humanities Aging in Place program, the Osage County Home Repair Grant Program, the Local Plumbers and Pipefitters Union, and there are more individuals who are experts in the different types of repairs that need to occur, uh, but they are often private contractors and whatnot. So I wanted to bring an example, which is uh, we got a phone call last week from Julie Wyatt here at the City Code Enforcement Office. Uh, she's working with a Lawrence senior who's low income and recently had a stroke. His wife died of complications of diabetes recently, a couple of years ago. The primary complaint from the neighbors, which brought him in front of code enforcement, was that the property has junk, needs to be hauled away. But upon a visit from Julie, she became extremely concerned that the home is in disrepair. It's currently unsafe and unacceptable for habitation. Without the necessary repairs, the home is at risk of being condemned. This senior who currently owns the home and is managing on his current income in it would then have to find accessible, affordable housing. We all know how hard that is to find. Um, the known issue that Julie immediately discovered is that the home does not have any water because of a broken water line. Plumbers could repair this, but it is expensive. Our team may be able to help with this critical need, but then once we get into the home, we aren't sure yet what we will find. So in this instance, we need to be able to pay for the roll-off dumping for the junk. The city has agreed to waive the rental and we'll recruit volunteers to help with that cleanup. But what if the scope of repair of the home is outside of what our team is able to do or to do promptly for this gentleman? And so with this type of funding, we would be able to work with a regular old plumber to come in and help us complete that task as well as whatever else we're able to find. So it's pretty basic. 
So I've used six minutes. I should stop and answer answer questions. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, are there questions from the board? Okay, I don't see any, so I have a question. Um, you know, if funds are granted and you guys make, let's say you go into a house and you make $20,000 repair to replace a water line, is there any mechanism that helps retain that house in the affordability when this particular resident is gone? anything like that it's a great question and it's something that we talk about with uh habitat i'm sorry with home tenants to homeowners mm -hmm. because of the program that they offer folks it's on our radar if we run into an individual who does not have children doesn't have family doesn't have another reason that they probably are, are have long-term plans for that home um there are those opportunities out there and so part of our goal is to just help to educate individuals on what some of those goals might be yeah Thank you. Thank you. Other questions? Yeah, Ron, I think. It's... You're on mute, Ron. Ron, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I think Ron, you're on mute. You. Yeah. I apologize. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Um, had, had you, similar to Monty's question, do you have any type of clawback mechanism if you make an improvement in the home and then someone you know 18 months later sells the home and benefits from the improvement that you've made we have not I believe, we have I believe not done some that. of the organizations doing in, in home improvements have have got a, some type of clawback mechanism is that correct mm -hmm. i see rebecca shaking her head have you do you do anything like that or have you considered it it's certainly something we would consider. And at this point, um, so far, the program, I'm sorry, the repairs that we've had to do are not that significant in nature at this point. Part of that's because we haven't had the funding to do so. Um, we have a uh, program that the individuals can pay on a sliding scale, what they're able to, but we would like to be able to help with some of these additional costs that they're unable to, to complete. Um, like I said, this is a program we've been doing on very limited income. And uh, and so the breadth of it, uh, if we look at this as a pilot program and it turns out that we have people who take advantage of it in that way, then obviously we would need to address that. At this point, um, the repairs have been uh, more along the lines of ramps, grab bars, uh, you know, and then of course we're talking about, we, we would like to talk more about some of these more significant repairs um, that are putting seniors in precarious situations. Other questions? Yeah, Rebecca. Thank you, Megan. Do you want to talk a little bit about the need? Uh, you've said several of us have other programs that seniors try and use, but I know we've had to limit our use of that and so again speak to the need because I think this board would like to hear that how many people we have you have to say no to and that you're kind of the one who gets all the calls so that it's appropriate for you to make some of those decisions sure absolutely uh 
looking at this as somewhat of a, of a pass-through program, if you will. The Senior Resource Center fields calls daily from seniors who have situations like this coming up. Um, for instance, we are part of that housing stabilization collaboration um, that Kyle spoke about earlier. And so the creativity that often comes in is really seeking what are some of the options that are available for the individuals that are calling us. Um, we, we are very interested in addressing the needs in whatever way we can come up with. Um, we have often had a waiting list for individuals who are looking for some sort of assistance and that is partially because just the the skilled handymen and the, the individuals who are skilled at this type of repair are limited um, and they have a lot of opportunity for work these days. There's, there's ample demand um, at full rate <laughs> for their skills. Um, and so we are, we're trying to compete with the, the market um, to try and get repairs made for individuals whose income can't meet the market. Okay, thank you. We're just a little over 10 minutes. Thank uh, you. Uh, we're gonna move on to the next applicant. Thank you again. Uh, Independence Inc. Hello. Um, I'm gonna, I believe I can share my screen. Yes, please. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> Um. I hope everyone can see that. Okay. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Daniel Brown. I'm the core service manager at Independence Incorporated, um, and I oversee our accessible housing program, uh, which is the program I'm here to talk to you about today. So the, the goal of our program is to make it possible for folks with disabilities who are low to moderate income uh, make those needed accessibility modifications to their home to be able to continue safely living out in the community. Um, why we feel the program is needed. So um, I think we all recognize that there's just not enough affordable and accessible housing to meet um, the demand in our area. Um, also, um, what we know at Independence Inc, helping folks look for housing is that many of the affordable housing options um, in our area have also the tendency to be some of the least accessible. Um, those are older homes. Um, those are older apartment complexes uh, that were built before HUD established accessibility standards. Uh, larger homes built into um, split and multiple units, trailer homes, etc. Uh, we also know um, as the senior population increases in our area, so is the demand for accessible housing options, including options for aging in place. Um, unfortunately, there are just very few resources available to assist folks with modifying um, existing housing, housing they already live in, um, so they can continue safely living there um, in the community um, and the home that they've lived in for sometimes many years. So how does our program work? So we do have um, uh, an application process. Um, we do screen folks for eligibility. Primarily that's looking to make sure that they meet our income eligibility guidelines, which is at 80% or below of area median income. Um, we're also making sure that the um, property is within Lawrence city limits um, and also that there is a legitimate need for the, uh, the modification that they're requesting. Um, after we determine eligibility, we meet with folks in the home to discuss accessibility issues, concerns that they're having. Um, a lot of folks, when they contact us, they know exactly what they need, uh, but not everybody does. Um, so that's where it's helpful to meet in the home with folks. Uh, do a walkthrough, um, determine what accessibility modifications might be beneficial to them. Uh, this is also part of the process where we sometimes have conversations with folks about referrals to other community partners, um, programs out there that might be available to assist um, if they're seeking something that 
that exceeds the scope of our program. Um, after we've come to a consensus on what modifications are needed, um, staff create bid specs, we communicate with the contractor, um, usually a little bit of back and forth there, and then we ultimately give the go-ahead to begin work. Once work's completed, staff go back out, meet with the client in their home, make sure the modifications are functional, they're working for them. Um, if there's any issues, contractor goes back out um, to address them, and once everyone's happy, the contractor's paid. Um, here are some examples of modifications that we've made previously in the program. Uh, grab bars is probably the number one thing that people request, um, but we also do um, accessible toilets, accessible showers, um, handheld shower heads, low rise steps, accessible sinks, wide doorways for walkers, wheelchairs, um, and of course ramps is what a lot of people typically think of. Um, here is a map of Lawrence that shows um, the locations of different projects that we've done. Um, as you can see, they're relatively dispersed around the city. Um, some of those little dots um, are actually either apartment complexes or trailer parks, so they indicate multiple projects. Um, as far as completed projects, um, ramps, grab bars, the most requested accessibility modification that we get. Um, ramps, accessible showers, um, the most expensive type of modification that we do typically. 70% um, of the households that we're serving in our program are at 30% or below of median area income. So um, the vast majority of the folks that we are serving um, are very low income. Many of those folks are well below 30%. Um, most um, have some level of fixed income like Social Security or SSI. Uh, we serve a wide range of folks. Um, the youngest person we did a project for was two years of age um, and up to 84. Um, we have no age limits, so we'll serve anybody. Um, and we've done projects for trailer homes, um, single family houses, apartments, townhomes. Um, so just in closing, uh, we feel that our program is very much in line with the goals of the Affordable Housing Trust Fund and that it ensures people with disabilities are able to maintain the affordable housing they currently have um, by getting those accessibility modifications that they need. Um, our program serves both renters and homeowners, um, which not every um, program is able to do. Um, from what we know, um, most of these modifications stay in place um, well after um, they are installed. So this increases the housing stock in the area that is both affordable and accessible. Um, and, and we've done this program um, for a number of years now. So um, we um, have the knowledge and um, the ability to make this successful if we're funded for another year. Um, and that is all that I have. Um, I will stop sharing my screen and am happy to answer questions. Thank you, Daniel. That was right on five minutes. Perfect. Did you practice that? <laughs> yeah, I did. It was good. Um, okay, so are there any questions from the uh, from the board? Okay, I have a question. I have a couple questions, actually. Um, same question I had for the last applicant is, is there any kind of uh, way, you know, we make, we spend the money to make these modifications. How does it serve the next person? How do we guarantee that it serves the next person? Or is there somebody, you have a mechanism for considering that? Um, I don't know if we necessarily have a mechanism. We do require um, the person to live in the home for at least a year um, in order to qualify for the program. We do occasionally run into folks that, um, their housing situation is a little tenuous, so um, they're not sure they can actually maintain um, that housing for a year, so we'll decline to serve them, unfortunately. Um, but right. so that is a requirement of the program. They have to live there for at least a year. Um, a lot of the folks um, we are serving are such low income 
um, it would be difficult to claw back money. Um, and some of these modifications are thousands of dollars. Um, we are serving folks that have annual income of like $9,000, $10,000 a year. Um, so it would be difficult to get thousands of dollars back from them, um, just realistically. Um, yeah, I wasn't thinking so much about getting funds back as maybe having a first right of offer, you know, to, to purchase a property so we could get it in an affordable housing stock somehow. And I don't know if we had a funds to do that or anything, but I think we need to think about getting ahead of the curve. It's great to serve these people that have needs, but we create this accessible house and then we walk away from it. You know, you know what I'm saying? We, we, it'd be great to get that in the stock that's available to our, uh, to the next person that needs it. So that's what I'm just trying to figure out if anybody's thinking about that, really. So thank you for your answer. Are there other questions? Looks like uh, Christina Gentry has her hand. Gentry. Oh, yeah. I put a hand up. I think it's a fist, but we'll take it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had a question, Daniel. Um, thank you for your presentation. And I remember last year's presentation where you shared some of the similar information. And um, I remember writing down something that was really stuck out in my mind is that the majority of the people served are people who live in mobile home parks here in Lawrence. Um, so are, is, do you find that that data is still relevant and the same today, that the majority of people and the homes you served are for those living and residing in trailer park homes? Or is there a different number this time around this year that you have? Um, it's, uh, it's about the same, um, trailer parks or trailer homes are probably the number one that we're serving, but it's followed closely by single family homes. Um, but yeah, so trailer homes are the number one, it, it, they're typically the more expensive too, because ramps on trailer homes are, they need to be so long. Um, those are the more expensive ramps and they typically require a, a deck to attach the ramp to. Um, so the single family homes, typically if we're doing those, they're a smaller ramp or it's a bathroom modification. So we're widening doorways, um, putting in an accessible shower. Um, so it's, they're, they're cheaper modifications. Um, but um, yeah, so we still serve trailer homes is probably the number one type of housing that we're serving. Um, but it's a variety. So single family homes we've done um, we did a townhome earlier this year. Um, I think we've done a fourplex um, and, and we'll do apartments as well. Um, okay. Thank you, Don. I have one more quick question. If uh, we funded, I think, I believe we've funded this several times in the past and it's been about this level of funding. Is this, is that set by your capacity to do these? Why, why if, would you ramp this up if you could? Um, I, I think we could ramp it up if we could. I think this is um, typically it's me doing a lot of the work um, and maybe another staff person. Um, so um, this is about what we can handle um, right now, but we could handle more um, if, if we had additional funding. Uh, but we're also respectful that there's a lot of other um, good programs out there. So, Okay. Thank you. Seeing no other questions. We're Thank you, Daniel. We're going to move on to the next applicant. And that is uh, Annex Group Union at the Loop application. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Amanda, are you ready? Hi, this is Sam Hurley with the okay. Annex Group. <clears throat> I want to say thank you all for, for having us. Uh, we're very excited to, to share our projects update and uh, and to, to feel it, field any questions you guys may have. So let me uh, let me share my screen here. 
Anyone want to see that? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so this is uh, Union at the Loop. Uh, our project is uh, currently under construction. Um, as you can see in the next slide here, that uh, it's located at Michigan uh, Street and and uh, in the highway there. Uh, this is a 248 unit project serving 60% uh, AMI uh, families and and below. Um, we are currently under construction and actively uh, delivering units for the project. Um, here is just a site plan, so you can kind of get a feel for how the site is laid out, but. Um, we have, you know, several residential buildings as well as a clubhouse with uh, with some amenities such as uh, picnic areas, dog parks, uh, uh, in unit washer dryer, um, as well as many other amenities for our residents to uh, to enjoy. Uh, here are just some pictures of of the project so far. Um, like I said, it's still an active construction site, so uh, you know, excuse the the landscaping, but we are well underway and. They expect to have full completion of the project by uh, April or May of 2023. Um, and with, like I said, units being delivered um, now and, and each month um, from, from here on out. Um, like I said, the units to, or the project is 248 units, 100% at 60% AMI uh, with uh, the, the following income restrictions, um, one, two, and three bedroom units uh, for a total of 248 units. So the reason for the request, uh, we have had a significant uh, cost overrun due to a, a variety of different circumstances um, that you may be aware of uh, the cost of, of, of materials and, and labor during COVID and, and after COVID have, have risen significantly due to uh, supply chain issues and, and the ability to, to get uh, equipment and materials that at one time were readily available and uh, and and given all the constraints on on society have have been less and less available um, so significantly over budget currently compared to the um, what we were in place with at closing so there's a few different ways um, in order to to, to resolve these issues. Um, one is, you know, we're actively pursuing other funding. Um, there's there's um, a variety of different soft funding available, um, which which we're requesting through, through this presentation and through others. Um, the others would be to increase our permanent first, first position mortgage. And, and in order to do that, we would need to exceed our uh, net operating in income expectations for this project. Uh, compared to what we had done at closing. Uh, unfortunately, there's only a, a few ways to do that, and that's, you know, increasing revenues or or decreasing expenses. Um, so what we're really trying to do is is limit the impact that, that this cost overrun is going to have on our residents um, by, by filling the gap as much as possible with soft funding. Um, and and if, if that's unable to be accomplished, then we will have to consider uh, some either rental rate increases or or finding um, room in the OPEX budget either through uh, staffing or, um, or or some other um, areas where, um, and, and that's just not something we'd like to do. We're, we're trying to avoid any sort of uh, negative impact to our, our, our project and to our residents. And, and the main way uh, to do that is to, to, to fill this gap with, with other uh, opportunities or funds other than um, you know, increasing rents or, or something of that happened. 
here's our, our time project timeline. Uh, we currently have uh, units being delivered, uh, as you can see here, um, several buildings um, and, and hope to have a full uh, stabilized project by the end of 2023. And that's it. This is just some slides of our other projects and, and other portfolio, but I can uh, open up the floor for questions at this time. All right. Thank you, Sam. Smonte Sokup Chair. Are there any questions from the board? Dana. Thank you, Sam, for the presentation. I walked by there and I was uh, pretty excited when I heard about this project. And since I watched it from the clearing, um, I saw on your slides that you're using community outreach and you mentioned the housing authority. So with that, I'm assuming that you're accepting vouchers for these units. And I just wanted that clarification, please. Yes, absolutely. Accepting vouchers. Um, yes. Thank you. And to that end, you know, a little bit off off topic here, but to that end, if there if there are uh, people actively engaged in, in the voucher process, and we can get them involved with our property management folks, we would love to do so. This is Hills uh, County Commissioner Shannon Reed. I was curious, just to sort of piggyback off that question from Dana. Um, or are all units expected to be eligible for voucher recipients? Will there be any restrictions to that? And I guess to, uh, in particular, if you end up um, raising rent um, due, you know, to offset the debt that you've spoken about um, and the overburden of cost, would it exceed the fair market value um, and lower the amount of vouchers or units that you would consider voucher so it's a two-part question right now is the plan to have all units except vouchers um and if you increase rents are you planning for for that still got it so we, we do not have any restrictions on um on units that can accept vouchers um they, there are some requirements as far as um uh, background checks, uh, credit checks, et cetera, that, that may limit a, a specific person from, rec from receiving uh, the ability to, to, to live at our uh, um, complex. But as far as limiting uh, by just because they have a voucher, no, that is, that is uh, we're, we're any, anybody that, that's eligible and meets our requirements would be able to live in our, in our project. Um, and then the second question I believe was the, uh, was regarding if we had to increase rents, would that impact the ability to accept vouchers? Um, the answer is no, um, as long as the the max rent available with the, including the voucher would would meet the the, the threshold of our uh, of our rent uh, requirement at that time. If we were to have to increase it. Thank you. Rebecca. Other questions? Mr. Chairman? Go I'm ahead. Go ahead. I got Rebecca and then Ron, I think. So what amount of soft costs do you need to not raise rents? Um, so currently our request is for 750000 
And if the trust fund gave you that, you would expect to not have to raise rents or is there still a, an amount you have to get from other sources? I'm just trying to be clear on it. Sure, yeah, we are, uh, we're currently at around, we've had an overage of about $2 million. Um, about a you know a million dollars of that was was covered by um, additional uh, hard cost contingency, which we we include in every job. So not all of this is a, a complete overage of of, a pro of the project. Um, so yes, the if, if we were to receive seven hundred fifty thousand, I believe that would uh, offset our gap um, to to an appropriate consent incent to uh, to minimize any sort of. OPEX decreases or or uh, or revenue increases. Okay, Ron, go ahead. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Um, I I believe I noticed in your application that um, these units were all to be guaranteed um, uh, affordable housing access units for a period of 15 years. Some of the LIPEC projects that we've seen here before AHAB have a 30-year period of guaranteed affordability. Can you explain to us the, uh, why there's the difference between the two and what advantages or disadvantages there are for your project to be 15-year instead of 30-year? Yeah, uh, that's that's actually may have been just a uh, a miscommunication. So the tax credit period um, is a 15 year period, uh, but our our land use restriction is 30 years. So we are consistent with your other projects in that regard, and um, that we may have just assumed that it was asking for the tax credit period. Which, if, if that's not the case, we we apologize. But that should be 30 years. This is Shannon Reed. I'll just quickly interject and let you know, Ron, that I think you're thinking of the next presentation. The estates is the 15 year All right. one. Okay. All right. We're just over 10 minutes. Are we ready to move on? All right. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate your presentation. Good project. And we're going to move on to the next applicant, which Thanks is everyone. the States of Lawrence. Hopefully, <laughs> yes. this will go better. Okay. Perfect. Hopefully, everyone can see that. Uh, my name is Devin Rhodes, and I'm with Wheatland Investments Group. Uh, first, I just want to thank you all. Share your screen, like I'm sorry. I'll go ahead and do it. <laughs> because you are in a Zoom meeting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> well, again, my name is Devin Rhodes and I'm with Wheatland Investments Group. Uh, we're affordable housing developers. Uh, and I'm joined by David Rhodes, Kelsey Hare, and Susie Rhodes. Uh, we're all owners within Wheatland Investments Group. Uh, we've been developing affordable housing for over 25 years. Uh, and this would be our third affordable housing development in the city of Lawrence. We currently have properties in Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas, and we all uh, self-manage uh, every unit that we built. Uh, we're currently the owners of Bethel Estates of Lawrence, which is located just up the street from this proposed site. <laughs> located on 25th Terrace. 
this project is is proposed to be located at 26th Terrace and will include uh, 38 affordable units for seniors. Uh, it will consist of two and three bedroom units. Uh, however, there will be a first floor master on every in, in every unit. Uh, earlier this year, we submitted and received a 9% low income housing tax credit allocation from the state of Kansas, the Kansas Housing, housing Resources Corporation. Um, we've already got funds committed uh, for construction and permanent financing. Uh, and so really we are just in need of the affordable housing trust funds to fill our remaining gap. As I mentioned, this project will consist of 38 affordable units. It will consist of two and three bedroom units. Uh, each unit will have a first floor master. Each unit will have a single car garage, in-unit washer and dryers. Uh, the property will also uh, include walking paths, outdoor seating areas, playgrounds. And as I mentioned, it will, um, it will have the access to the existing community center within Bethel Estates of Lawrence. So although this is comprised of townhomes, the residents here will have access to our other property just up the street. Uh, within the community center, there's all, all kinds of activities, bookmobiles, bingo nights, um, Thanksgivings, you know, things, things for the residents to enjoy. Uh, it may not have been noted on our application, but there is a bus stop on 25th Street, which is less than um, a quarter of a mile away. Uh, there's just a proposed elevation of the townhomes. Again, 38 units, two and three bedroom units. Uh, within the units, with this project will comprise of 30% area median income rents, 40% area median income rents, and 60%. Um, so it will uh, include a deeper median income uh, targeting. Uh, we believe this project will continue to help the Affordable Housing Advisory Board meet their goals and objectives. Uh, it will also directly help the city's strategic plan to increase the supply of new affordable housing. Uh, any questions? Okay, I'm gonna thank you, Devin. Sure. Uh, I'm gonna open that up to the board. Go ahead, Ron, see you, Ron. Um, hmm. Here we go. Um, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Uh, Devin, perhaps you heard my question for the um, previous um, uh, participant. Um, I, I noted in your application that the period of uh, affordable housing guarantee is 15 years. Am I understanding that correct or is? That's correct. Within the, the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation's compliance period is 15 years. Uh, as the previous developer mentioned, the, the LURA is, is um, ongoing for 30 years. Okay, thank you. So uh, I have a question, Devin. These are uh, assuming all rental? All for rent, all rent. yes. Um, if I could just add a little bit more, we are going through the zoning process within the city. We are on the November agenda and our hope is to obviously have a smooth meeting there and on to the city commission meeting in December. Uh, we would like to start construction at the very beginning of next year. And all of these nice. funds will be directly used towards construction costs. 
Um, and maybe I missed it. How many are accessible? All of them. All of them are. All of them will have a, a first floor master. Uh, there will be no steps uh, within the entire site. Wow. Nice. Thanks. Any other questions for Devin? Um, this is Sarah Lars from KU. Could you also though clarify you've got, how are you getting to the second floor for the two and three bedroom plans? Uh, that's completely up to our residents. Uh, we would potentially, you know, consider uh, making some sort of, of, of um, uh, modification for them to have access to the second floor. Uh, you know, we kind of envisioned the second floor being uh, either their their second bedroom or guest bedroom or however they want to leverage the second and third bedrooms. Uh, Tom Allen, member at large. Um, my question is, have you also looked at even just sort of uh, like one bedroom units within this, this sort of context? And I think it kind of addresses the question of, you know, how are the upper level bedrooms being used? We have considered it. Um, however, within the city's strategic plan, this design and number of bedrooms and townhome units fit within the city's strategic plan. Yeah. This is Christina Gentry. Um, thank you, for Devin, for this presentation. Um, let me just clarify, these are the states of Lawrence are for all residents or we're talking about affordable units for our senior living community? Just for clarification. The estates of Lawrence is for seniors and they are all 100% affordable, if I understood your question. So what is the definition of a senior there? 55 and 55 older. 55 plus, okay. This is Douglas. Oh, Christina, do you have one other question? Sorry. Yeah, no, no, I need to go. This is Christina, just kind of 55 and older. And this is, um, I'll look into what that includes for for what um, what to, you know, for, but for families. So, are we saying 55 and older, and their families can stay there because there's two and three bedrooms? So, 55 and older plus a a caregiver or a family member or children. This is accommodating for all of a single family. Um, with the understanding that one of the residents, the main resident is going to be uh, of a senior living status. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, unfortunately, no, it would not include seniors with children. Um, so this is for 55 and older only. Their kids are more than welcome to come visit and stay, but um, they're not going to be on the lease. This is uh, Shan Reed, Douglas County Commission. Uh, same question for the um, last applicant, just about um, voucher acceptance. Do you anticipate that all of these units would uh, might accept housing choice vouchers if they're obviously 55 and older? Sure. Um, all of these units would, would have the um, option to accept vouchers, and we have a lot of experience with that at the Bethel Estates of Lawrence Project just up the street. Okay, thanks. And then I heard you say that the 15 years, um, that the reason that that's the compliance requirement, have you considered more than 15 years of affordability? We have considered it. Um, but at, at this time, we'd like to, to stick with the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation compliance period. Thanks.
This okay. is Sarah Waters with KU. One more question. Um, if you didn't receive all of the funds, what does that do to your performa um, and moving forward? Uh, so similar to the, the previous presenter, um, we would either need to uh, find ways to reduce, and this is um, crazy to even say, reduce the construction cost, <laughs> um, or we would need to increase our permanent loan. Um, there is a chance that we would need to increase rents or reduce operating expenses. I have one last question or one question. If um, if Ahab were condition to condition, you know, an award based on a 30 year affordability, what would that, would you guys consider that? Would you not consider it? Is that just not work? We would or? definitely consider it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Any other questions? We're running right up on 10 minutes. Okay. Thank you, Devin. Thank you. Very nice presentation. We're moving on to the next applicant. Uh, that would be Flint Hills Holding New Hampshire Street Lofts. This is Leah Rosen, Affordable Housing Administrator. Uh, Tony, are you? I don't see. I don't see them. Do we have some? I don't, it doesn't look like it. So do we? Let's go the next presentation. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to the next presentation. Uh, that would be uh, DCCCA application. Hello, I am Lori Alvarado, the CEO at DECA, and Russ Harding is also on the line. He is the Chief Operating Officer at DECA. I want to start our presentation with just a story to give you a bit of an idea of what our housing project is about. We have a woman who has uh, just completed treatment at our first step at Lakeview Residential SUD Substance Use Disorder Treatment Program. She has two children under the age of 12 and she is looking to transition into the community. As she begins to look at her options, she knows they are limited, one, because affordability is key, two, safety of our children are important, and three, if she has a federal offense, which is not unusual for women who have um, had an addiction as strong as uh, some of the women that we treat at our facility, all options that have to do with HUD funding are unavailable because of the criminal history, they are ineligible to uh, live in those facilities. So as we transition women and children into the community, the options are incredibly limited. We also know that returning to a place where addiction might have been the problem is not a safe option for recovery. 
So as we talk about our housing project, we have identified the issues that continue to be a challenge for our women finding housing, safe and affordable housing for children um, in the Lawrence community remain very limited. Our project, which Russ will outline the details of next, is really focused on this this uh, population. So women with children who have um, a substance use disorder diagnosis. Uh, part of the challenge or part of the requirement in our housing will be ongoing treatment. This is transitional housing and we'll be working with community resources to work towards permanent housing. So Russ will give just a quick update. We did include pictures in our proposal of the units. So I will let Russ tell you the details of the units. Good morning, everybody. Um, this is going to include five du duplex units, which would consist of 10 total units. Each of these units would be a two bedroom, two bath, one car garage. Everything is going to be single story so that we don't have to know issues with steps if there's any kind of uh, mobility issues um, with the folks. Um, we've also got a proposed um, clubhouse. Um, in the in the development as well to where they could get together um you know for holidays or, or just different birthday parties being a safe spot there where they're actually getting um, their treatment on site um you know these like i said these units are a two bedroom two bath one car garage i mean they have all the regular amenities washer dryers dishwashers all of that set up um, so as they're making the transition, this this is the ne the next step in their recovery. Um, at this time, we'll we'll entertain any questions. Russ, one one additional piece that I think is critical to the Lawrence community: we have an on-site childcare at our treatment center, and uh, women with children would have access to continue to have their their children in childcare literally across the street from where they would be living. So with that, we'll entertain questions. Yep. All right. Thank you, Lori and Russ. Is, uh, are there questions from the board? I have a question. It's Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. Hi, Lori. Thanks for being here. Um, I, I, so my first question is you mentioned that um, many of the women that you serve are not eligible for HUD um, vouchers based on those barriers. So is your intent to um, to truly be available for folks who do not have any other housing options, so who wouldn't qualify for HUD? Is that kind of the, the goal that, or is there space to accept vouchers um, in any of the units, or is it by design to for folks who wouldn't qualify for that kind of subsidy? By design, it is uh, for those who would not qualify for that subsidy. One of the key components of transitional housing for us is that they are still involved in treatment and that they are still engaged in treatment because usually treatment is not something that they accomplish recovery in, a, in a, just a couple of weeks. And so one of the key components would be ongoing treatment supports. So while we would entertain vouchers, we would have to talk about, um, I believe, any vouchers that are used on the housing facility, and I would need to get clarification, um, 
would then perhaps put the other units in jeopardy if people had the um, criminal history that I discussed earlier. I, for the record, I appreciate that it's a focus on filling a, a gap for unmet need. Um, my other question is just about since you're a nonprofit and you're building on property that you already own, and you talked about how the trans, the housing itself is um, sort of tethered to um, and conditioned upon services and, and treatment. So can you just talk a little bit about whether, you know, I'm hoping that um, DECA never goes away, but if we were to play out a scenario where DECA were to not exist, are there any deed restrictions on the land? Or are you planning for that in terms of how the, the property will be maintained in perpetuity if for some reason in the next couple of decades, DECA is not managing it? Is that something you all have talked about? What we have talked about, uh, Commissioner Reed, in our fundraising efforts, this effort is by design a private partnership proposal because we believe having skin in the game by um, private donors as well as community foundations, national foundations, um, DECA itself, it strengthens that very piece that you're talking about. Where we have positioned this on our property, it could easily be um, somewhat sanctioned or uh, rezoned in a different way that if DECA were not the owner of the property, we have talked about where to position the housing. Should that happen? I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, it is it I think the last part of it, which maybe you don't know yet, is just you know, if that were to happen and it were to become under private ownership, would it remain permanently affordable, even if it wasn't necessarily meeting the mission of women in recovery seeking affordable housing? I'll be honest with you, that one's a hard one for me to answer, thinking about that far in the future. Um, I would we have not considered that question, but would be happy to respond to that question if that's something that y'all desire. All right, other questions? I have one question. This is Sarah Waters with KU. Uh, similar to other groups I've asked, like if your agency didn't receive these funds, what does that do to the development that you're you're planning? Our proposed funding mechanism is both private and public partnership. Um, if we did not receive the funding, that would turn up the heat and requirement on our other fundraising efforts and might delay the project, not and not stop it, but delay its implementation. We have a plan for raising funds, but if you're raising more than what you planned for, obviously more time might be needed. Obviously, there's ways that you can um, work through some things around um, costs, but I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I've not seen any. I'm constructing a building on the east side of town, and I have zero um, belief that construction costs are going to come down when I get change orders every other week about how things are more expensive. So I, I don't believe that's an option. I think what our option would be more about um, fundraising and developing other partners to engage in the work. Thank you. Any other questions from the board? Uh, yeah, Trent Santee, Lawrence Home Builders Association. Uh, it looks like the project doesn't encompass the entirety of the property that it's going to be situated on. Do you have future plans to expand this project or to do additional projects? 
right now we would like to get this housing project built and figure out how to do it well and maintain it well we absolutely have more property at the at the location where we will build without this is deca's first project into housing and i think we want to do it well and so we've tried to keep the scope to a place that we think we can manage and manage well so to your point I think that's something we would have to evaluate once we have housing up and running and we understand how to do it well. And expansion would be an option at that point if we are doing well and able to maintain and do the things that we know are important. Sure. All right. Thank you. We're running right up on 10 minutes. Any any last questions? Okay. Thank you, Russ and Lori. Appreciate thank your time. You. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to move on to the Burt Nash application. Hello, thank you all. Uh, I'm Matthew Falk. I'm the director of housing with the Burt Nash Community Mental Health Center. And let me uh, share my screen here. You all seeing that series of colorful buildings? Yeah. Okay, so our project is what I'm titling a supportive and rehabilitative permit housing project, project one, and that is a form of permanent supportive housing. Um, this project is part and parcel to the long-term vision of Burt Nash and the community uh, affordable housing vision. Uh, we have a, are planning a series of permanent supportive housing projects to build a diverse portfolio of housing uh, to meet the different needs of our community. Uh, we want to build capacity to address the severity of homelessness in the community today. And as our participant uh, process in the Bill for Zero project, um, this is also a part of us expanding tier three of the behavioral health campus model, if you recall. The behavioral health campus which includes the treatment recovery center our transitions a transitional house and the cottages uh, housing authority permanent housing um, the cottages are tier three they're permanent support housing uh, so we're looking to expand the permanent support housing capacity of our community and this is a project that we hope will uh will, our our pro forma is that we will be able to achieve uh, self-sustainable permanent supportive housing development uh wing of our organization so where we would be be able to uh, fully fund or almost fully fund further permanent supportive housing development projects. This project is to build 22, 22 to 24 units above a commercial space. Um, we will permanently dedicate this to uh, permanent supportive housing uh, as long as Burton Ash exists and uh, remains here, that, that's what it will do. Um, and the commercial space will likely be used for Burt Nash um, offices for staff who are on site providing services to the residents of the building uh, and other community supportive services programs like our homeless outreach team or our assertive community treatment team, for example. Um, we are really trying to target, you know, homelessness reduction as, as our initial um, kind of goal. Um, so this project is targeted for folks who are experiencing homelessness and who have a severe mental health issue uh, and who also qualify for an LDCHA or HUD voucher. We, will, we are only looking to work with voucher holders. Um, we will have dedicated site dedicated supportive service staff uh, during day hours, or we have the option of providing 24 seven staffing on site if needed. Um, and as the owner operator, we believe as the owner operator of permanent supportive housing, uh, we will have a much more flexible 
property management model that we can implement and help prevent housing loss, given that we can be more lenient with our clients and or work with them as they move through their the stages of recovery in, from whatever their issues may be. Um, so the real targeted outcomes are to help the community meet its wider goals and commitments uh, that involve you know, meeting the, uh, the goals outlined in the KU Homeless Assessment and the Community Supportive Housing Supportive Housing Assessment, uh, their goals for Built for Zero, the 2018 Housing Market Study, and the overall city strategic plan. Uh, again, reducing homelessness and housing loss uh, by increasing a permanent, for permanent supportive housing and expanding tier three and by achieving sustainability, right? We, we need sustainability in our system and we want sustainability as an agency uh, to be able to develop housing. Um, the timeline for this project is that we are looking to complete site selection this fall. Um, we've been working with the city and community partners to um, you know, uh, acquire a site that has gone through various different stages as you may very well know and are likely to ask some questions here about. Um, and then complete the planning and or the design of the building because that will be driven by the site that we go to and then finalize initial funding necessary to break ground this next summer and break ground next summer and or early fall uh, with a hope, hopeful completion date of late summer, early fall 2024 and hopefully have targeted resident move in in late 2024, early 2025. Any questions? All right, very good, Matt. Matthew, thank you. Are questions from the uh, board? Yeah, Rebecca. Matthew, uh, talk about a little bit more about sustainability. I think that's a really important yeah. thing for our community to understand as we yeah. try to build and uh, create supportive service housing. Um, but you do say no or low income, and I know you mentioned vouchers would be part of that, but um, yeah. you know, talk about the other ways that you can get funding on what's inevitably higher housing costs to build supply and higher supportive sure. service costs in the future. Sure. So Burt Nash, as a licensed community mental health center, is licensed by the state to receive Medicaid reimbursement for supportive services. Um, that's kind of what we do. We, we already provide supportive services out in the community to households in their homes. Um, so that is a significant funding stream that we benefit from as a community mental health center. So combining that with the rental revenue places us in a position um, to, to net an amount each year that we will then put 100% of that net towards future housing development. I have a very conservative performer in respect to revenue um, and my expenses on my performer is quite high, including, you know, uh, for this project, setting aside over nearly $60,000 a year just for maintenance and contingency about damages. It's um, in that pro forma, uh, shows that we'll we'll be able to net a, a decent amount, um, a little over 100,000 a year. That changes a little bit with uh, CCBHC 
Um, if you're not from, if you're not aware already that the Burnash Community Health Center is a, a newly certified community or a certified community behavioral health clinic, which is a federal model for providing mental health services and integrated services and further integration of services. Uh, but that change uh, we anticipate will actually positively impact our pro forma uh, rather than negatively impact that pro forma. So we don't anticipate that that would do anything but um, aid in the sustainability of, of this process. So combining revenue for supportive services along with rent uh, will, will put us in a position to be able to sustain our own housing development for permanent supportive housing uh, moving forward. And, and there's economies of scale that we get as we continue to grow housing and add more units to, to our portfolio. Sorry. All right, other questions? This is Sarah Waters, KU. Um, Matthew, if you didn't receive all of the funds um, or like what does that do to your overall performance and ability to move this one forward? Uh, we're committed to this project. It would likely potentially delay its development. Um, similar to, to Lori's uh, reply, we would uh, transition to increasing our, our funding, fundraising, and other areas with foundations. Um, but you know, we don't anticipate that that would somehow sink our ship, for example, right? That this project will, will move forward. It may delay it, um, but we're, did it. we're committed to this. All right, Ron. Um, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Matthew, I know um, um, one component of your proposal is to create um, employment opportunities uh, for the program participants. Um, where, where are you at in discussions with potential employers who are might have an interest in, in locating with you? So that so you know we do want to increase employment opportunities for our for our clients and residents of the building. Um, considering the development around our initial um, partnership with the city to look at a downtown site, that has kind of changed what we're what we're doing in respect to the site that we go to. Um, we're likely not going to be downtown anymore, and we're likely not going to pursue that specific model. Um, we we operate a permanent um, what's called um, supported employment program at Burton Ash. We have supported employment as a permanent part of our services and have for, for a long, long time. Uh, we will still offer supportive employment as a, uh, I guess, a, a tier service that we provide to those residents. Um, I just don't know in respect to having employment opportunities on site if, if that's the direction we're going to go now that we're not going to be downtown. Um, so part of this process is that the site where we go will dictate some of that. Where we're located in the community will dictate some of that. We do have some meetings this week about potential other sites, um, and but I'm not. I don't want to speak uh, before we have anything really developed in this uh, venue about that. So uh, we do have other sites that we're looking at. Um, we also have some significant amount of uh, staff space that we need to meet as an agency. Um, uh, Burton Ash is in a position in which we're growing rapidly and we desperately need some some new staff offices. So uh, we by not being downtown and transitioning to a different site that has given us an opportunity to look at, well, maybe there's some staff office space needs that we can meet by 
uh, including them in this project as well. Um, but those are those are all staff who provide supportive services. We would be housing supportive service staff within that facility. <laughs> thank you. We're running right up on ten minutes. Um, so thank you, Matthew. Uh, great presentation. Good project. And we're going to move on to the next applicant. Uh, and we're going to bring back the uh, Flint Hills Holdings, uh, New Hampshire Street Lofts application. This is the last uh, last application we have to hear. This is this is Tony Kresnick. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, we can, Tony. Be careful what you wish for bringing me back. I'm I'm having technology issues. I'm actually racing to my other office. <laughs> so I, I I appreciate you bearing with me here. Um, uh, it, did you say I am the last presentation here? Yes, and we have about 10, exactly 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. So. Um, I, I am going to try to pull over here. I, I do I do apologize um, about not being able to, to get service earlier. Um, this this application is identical, uh, nearly identical, uh, what, aside from uh, the increased economics, um, the increased request, the, the request to your body has not increased, but this is an identical application that, that your body saw uh, a couple of months back out of round, uh, uh, out of cycle round. Um, it, is, uh, it is still the 48 units, still the, uh, the, the, the mixture income averaging 80% AMI or less, uh, 48 unit uh, affordable housing project. Um, the uh, request to the state housing agency um, has increased. The request to the city uh, has not. Um, and so um, I, I do, again, appreciate you guys working with me here in, in this remote state that I'm in, but wanted to open it up to, to any, question, any questions that, that you all might have. All right. Thank you, Tony. Uh, are there any questions from the board? I think probably a lot of questions got answered when we uh, spent a good amount of time on this project uh, earlier uh, this year. I, I do have a question, Tony. I've asked this to everyone. This is Sarah Waters with KU. Um, mm -hmm. If you did not receive these funds or a, only a portion of the funds, what does this one do to your, what does that do to your project right now going forward? Um, yeah, we, we have a, uh, we have a, a, a long-term contract on this site. Um, in in, ter in terms of the carrying costs on this on this site, which is pretty unique to other projects that that we've worked on in the past, uh, any any delay on this would would drastically impact the project. However, as I stated in my application, if the entire request uh, of five hundred and fifty thousand dollars was spread over a couple of years, um, that would be acceptable to this project. It would increase our interest carry slightly. Um, but that's that's really the same response um, or, or same piece of the presentation. And I believe the same response I would have given a couple of months uh, back when this was presented. So if it comes in over a couple of installments, um, that would be $150,000 not being awarded, though, um, and, and not coming in at all. Uh, would uh, would re re uh, would result in a bust on the project, um, and I think that another piece to, uh, to to mention here is the commitment from the city 
um, is very important for the uh, receipt of the tax credits from the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation. Okay, other questions from the board? Yeah, Ron, go ahead. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Um, Tony, several of the other uh, funding uh, request uh, organizations have spent some time identifying who their target resident is. Uh, who are the target residents for this project? Yeah, our, our project, Ron, is a little unique um, in, in that we, you know, we're, we've gone out of our way just as we have at Nine Dell Lofts, Penn Street Lofts, and Polar Lofts to try to provo try to provide affordable housing from somebody uh, on every aspect of the of the of, of the housing spectrum. So we will uh, go up with an income average with an average affordability of sixty percent AMI or less. We will go up probably all the way towards eighty percent AMI, all the way down to thirty percent AMI with a homeless set-aside unit. We do accept vouchers at our projects. Um, and the reason that we do it that way is because oftentimes, um, you know, if, if you're limited to 50% AMI or 60% AMI, somebody in theory could make five, $10 too much money. And then all of a sudden they're not a, a candidate for our project. So we do provide uh, low-income housing units, affordable housing uh, units, but in terms of blended spectrum, I would consider our projects uh, to also include workforce housing, um, the city workers, the firefighters, uh, the school teachers, um, so that we're hopefully in a position where we can accept uh, all of the different areas of affordable housing and not just tailor to one or the other. Thank you. All right, any other questions? All right, thank you, Tony. Appreciate your uh, making effort to get 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 to us today and and getting a presentation in. So thank you. I am so sorry, guys. If you have any uh, other questions, please let me know. All right, thank you. All right, so that concludes uh, Smonty Sokup Chair. That concludes our presentations today. Um, I would certainly open it up to public comment if there are. Uh, participants that want to comment on this. I said we'd hold that to the end and we have a few minutes so we could do that. So I don't see anyone in the room. Is there anyone online that we're seeing with their hand up? Okay. Seeing oh, none. Looks like one. Oh, Steve Ozark. Go ahead, Steve. Hi all, thank you so very much for all your work. You know, I, I sing off the same song sheet every time I'm a bass player. And the base of this for me is the permanence of the work that you do with this sacred money. Um, I think it's easy for everyone to call on the trust fund and call on you to solve all the problems of affordable housing. And um, I just remind us we're in year five, I believe of the process. So in five years, the community will be voting to continue this or not. And I think the basis of that will be on how much permanent work we've done to show we've moved the needle with 12 million or so dollars for something that's permanently gonna affect our community versus all the other needs. And I don't mean to make it a versus, I'm here to champion 
more funding about these needs across the board and outside of this outside of this body. But I, I think again, just I guess stating the obvious to many, but just to to put it back to the voters in five years, they're going to look at what you decide today and how much of this is going to affect people five years from now, 10 years from now, that's what's going to keep the will of the community behind us and believing in us. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Steve. Do we have any other commenters online that you see? Public. See, uh... Rosalind, Affordable Housing Administrator. I don't see any other public comment. I, I couldn't hear you, Lee. Oh, I'm sorry. There's no other public. No other public. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So we're going to close uh, open forum on uh, on that agenda item. We're going to move on to the second agenda item, which is consider calling a special meeting in October uh, to uh, address some things that we had to had to table over the last couple meetings, uh, in particular the CIP uh, application process. Um, so with that, um, I think there's a recommendation to have, uh, or just, just try to select a date that works for a good number of people, uh, on the board. Um, I know we've selected, uh, I know that October, you're going to have to help me, Leah, 28th is one option that a lot of people are available. Um, based on a, a poll of the members. Let me pull up my email. Maybe people could take um, a look at their This calendar. is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. According to the Doodle poll, all, um, all AHAB members that completed the Doodle poll are available on October 27th from 3 to 4 and from 4 to 5 p.m. And my recommendation was that if the AHAB does move to hold a special meeting in October, that the time be at 3 o'clock p.m. to allow for a little extra buffer time for those who would need to leave at 5. So the recommendation based on the doodle poll is to meet on the 27th from three to four with some possibility if we have to go over, we have a little bit of buffer time to do that. I'd like to make a motion that they have meet on October 27th at that time. All right, we have a motion on the floor. Do I have a second? I'm second. Okay. Or Tom, Tom can take Tom, a we have Tom or <laughs> we have our choice. Uh, Tom Allen, never liked it. Second. Okay, so we have a motion and a, a, a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? All right, seeing none, uh, we're gonna call the roll. Okay, Thomas Howe. Yes. Thomas Allen. Yes. Trent Santee. Yes. Shannon Reed. Yes. Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. Yes. Christina Gentry. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Ron Gacious. Yes. Monty Soka. Yes. Motion passes 10-0. So we will see you here on the 27th at 4. And that moves us on to other new business. And we're going to try to wrap up very quickly here. 
Is there any other new business that the board, anyone, oh, Dana Ortiz would like to bring up something. Thank you, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. I wonder if the October meeting could have some clarification on conflict of interest and such regarding something that that Sarah mentioned early on in the process with uh, involvement with some of these projects. None of these projects are projects that Family Promise brought to the table, but I would really like some city guidance on what, since we're all getting ready to do some evaluation of these, where we should recuse ourselves um, on these projects. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, okay, we, I think we can add that and, and certainly uh, try to bring some clarity to that. I know that's been an issue that's been troubling this board in particular, and I think other boards at the city or some other boards are struggling with the same issue. So um, we'll try to have a little bit of clarification uh, at our next meeting. Uh, moving on, any other new business? Okay, moving on to the calendar. I'm gonna let you read uh, the calendar for yourself. Um, the, probably the most notable thing is by the middle of next month, our recommendations are due. So uh, continue to look at those applications, start filling out the matrix. Now that we've had the presentations, which I thought, you know, it, it's gonna be a tough round to select because we had some really great projects and, you know, double the amount of requests that we have funding. So uh, we all have our work cut out for us. Um, with that, Leah. It this appears December and January that you have down there uh, elect 2023 oh, affordable oh, housing. Get that updated. And very quickly, this is Christina Gentry. Um, I had a question about special meetings. Have there been to one as of yet for AHAB? Are they recorded? Uh, are they uh, also just given the same consideration as our public meetings are as general public comment? Created or is this a closed special meetings for just members? And also, will it be a hybrid um, environment? Would be my second question. Yeah. Uh, so that would, uh, the meeting would be a public meeting, just like all of our other meetings, and just like we're having right now. Does that clarify that? And what was your second question? Um, I think probably can be answered in the email, but just kind of curious about our format. Will it be hybrid as well? This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. The meeting will be hybrid. It may not be held in the city commission room, depending on if other meetings are booked, but I will certainly look for another meeting room with Zoom and in-person capability as soon as possible and get that information out to the Affordable Housing Advisory Board and the public as soon as possible. Okay, thank you very much, Leah. Okay. All right, so with that, We'll call this meeting to an end and thank you all for your uh, work today and patience and good questions. Thank you, we're adjourned. Great work.